You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Now it's my privilege to invite Harley to come up and share the word with us this morning. And uh, let's just pray for Harley as well. Father, thank you that you've... uh, It can be nerve-wracking getting up to preach. (laughs) Lord, thank you for the word you put in Harley's heart. Thank you for his commitment, his devotion to you, Lord, and his his desire to share your word with us. Lord, we pray that you'll speak to us through him this morning and through your word. And uh, Lord, just give him... um, the anointing that your Holy Spirit brings on the message. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I might just crack this open now. First note on my... Uh, first point on my notes is to pray, so... Glad we got that one done. Um, yeah, so uh, today I'm going to be preaching through um, a passage in the first chapter of John, um, continuing on through the um, what Ian's been preaching through these uh, past few months. Um, and um, before I jump into that, I'd actually like to kind of take a step back and have a look at John as an overview and um, give you a picture of what I kind of um, see in what I've heard other people say about the Gospel of John and uh, what its flavour is and that sort of thing. So we can get a bit more context around um, what's happening. Um, so uh, uh, as you're probably familiar, there's four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Um, Matthew, Mark and Luke are all quite similar. If you've read through them together or compared them in the past, they have a, a very similar flavour. There's actually whole excerpts of ones that are uh, used in the other as they've used them as sources and cross-references. Um, whereas John is quite different. Um, it's a little bit more... Uh, uh, jumps around a bit more, um, and it tells a number of stories that you don't see in some of the other Gospels. Um, I've heard someone refer to it as the action Gospel because he says, and this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and he just jumps from one to the next, and you think only a week's passed, and then suddenly Jesus has been crucified. So it's very action-packed, but it's just a, a different way of looking at the story and focusing in on uh, key parts of Jesus' life and teaching. Um, so I suppose uh, the reason why it was written, um, you know, to, to look at these different parts, it actually says in uh, chapter 20, verse 31, it says, um, it was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. So this is where John's kind of wrapping up towards the end of his gospel and he's saying, this is why I wrote this. Um, Luke enter, opens his gospel by saying, you know, I wrote this for you so you may see and believe. And, and that's what John's done here. He's seen the other gospels and they've seen that this is great stuff that's out there, but here's some, here's another perspective. Um, we kind of, uh, looking at the author of John, um, there's a few different thoughts around who he is or was. Um, 
the most kind of uh, common view across those is that he was um, the one of the disciples, John the disciple, um, that he was one of the people following around Jesus. But there's other thoughts that he might have been an early elder in the church called John. Um, but he's clearly somebody who's been in direct contact with Jesus. Um, now, as for his audience, he seems to write in a way that references... Um, has strong ties back to the Old Testament, has a strong kind of understanding that um, when you're reading this, when you read a section, you kind of know that this is tied back to something in the Old Testament. So it seems to have a very kind of Jewish flavour, um, but at the same time, he takes little words and, and Jewish um, phrases and explains them in common tongue. So he talks about how a rabbi means teacher. So there seems to be quite a broad audience of, in mind and... The invitation to, if you're not familiar with something, actually do a little bit more digging. Um, and I think that's looking at the Gospel of John. That's the the big part of his um, mission is to actually pose the question to you and get you to ask it yourself: of who is this man Jesus? Who is he? Um, he 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 follows through Jesus' life, his teachings, uh, the things that he does, and He'll often uh, have Jesus do or say something, and then he'll have people's reactions on the other side of that. And, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, this is awesome, praise God, you're awesome, you're the Messiah. And then other times they're like, whoa, whoa, this is a bit much, calm down, settle down. Um, and there's this this contrast, and then you have people who, who really rally behind him, those people who kind of dismiss him, um, and then there's those people who just really gets, grinds their gears, and they, they work to destroy him, to kill him. Um, and I see this as kind of this broad spectrum of reactions, and John is constantly posing that question, well, who do you think he is? This is what other people think he is, but who do you think he is? Um, so I'd like to do just a quick recap of the first section of uh, John, um, starting at verse 1. And I'm just going to read through this uh, section, which uh, a number of you will be familiar with. It's very poetic language, and it's this really... Uh, Nice opening to, to, the, to the passage. Um, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Uh, now, Ian's unpacked this uh, earlier, but you know, this is clearly tied to Genesis chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning was God. And he's tying these things two together, and he's saying, you know, Look, this was the Word. And if you think about the Word... Um, my words are separate from me. They are kind of the air gushing out from my mouth. But at the same time, they don't exist apart from me. They can't exist unless I have spoken them. And they're also completely tied to me because they come from my thoughts. And so you can see that parallel in Jesus, that he is this word of God. He is distinct, yet he is the same. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe in him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
can you kind of feel the anticipation building? Uh, I kind of picture this as like a stage play and there's a narrator um, up on the stage, got a spotlight on him and he's calling out the setting for the scene. He's uh, building the anticipation for the main character to walk on. It continues, it says, He was in the world and the world was created through him. Yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him, and exclaimed, This is the one of whom I said, The one coming after me has surpassed me, because he has existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness, and for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. And then... The curtains close. Um, so it's it's this that that whole section is this very poetic imagery of of the word and the flesh of light and darkness and of this um, thing that is coming and the, the the anticipation on the horizon, the culmination of uh, all of the Old Testament. This is it here. Um, and then our first character walks onto the scene. And so our question is, is this the one? Is this the one they're talking about? And, you know, that's actually what it says in verse 19. It says, who are you? Uh, this is the Pharisees asking of this character called John. And he says, I am not the Messiah. Oh, okay. So this isn't the one we're looking for. But he follows this up. He's like, where, where is this Messiah? This word that we've been hearing about. And John the Baptist tells us that he's the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Now, um, this is where we kind of have to do that little jump back to the Old Testament and have a look at um, what, what's this passage that he's talking about. Um, every Jew would be very familiar with the imagery of this. Um, it's kind of like where you, you can say a line from a movie and instantly you're transported back to that, like the, the classic red pill, blue pill. You know, if you've seen that movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For everybody else, it just kind of passes over the top. Um, go watch The Matrix if you were confused. Um, so he's, he says, uh, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. So for all the Jews who heard this, they would have had all this imagery come up in their mind. You know, it talks about the world being leveled, um, valleys being raised and mountains being lowered. So it just has this level path, um, the glory of God shining around on the earth, the establishment of God's rule and reign, um, his gathering of his people to himself, his flock and sheep, it refers to him, and the protection of them. And he talks about uh, as well how all the might of the nations is so small in comparison to God's might and power. Um, and then it kind of finishes with the, the creator of the whole world sitting down in his throne. Um, 
and righteousness and strength is given to those who trust in him. And it's just like, can you imagine the anticipation the Jews had when they heard this? Make straight the path of the Lord. Um, So John the Baptist is, is again pointing, here is one who is to come. He talks about how he isn't worthy to untie his sandals. You know, the, um, the, these, these images just build that suspense, I feel. And so when we get to verse um, 29, uh, which is what uh, Ian's been looking over previously, um, John says, uh, and Jesus kind of enters stage right, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. So here's this man who's entered the scene and John says, this is the one I've been talking about. This is, this is that grand entrance. Yet it's kind of somewhat anticlimactic because there's no fireballs or, or anything like that. No, no angel chorus uh, as such. And so now we have that question of who is this man? Um, so now I'd just like to call out the passage that I'm going to be focusing on and kind of look through that. Um, and this is, this is a story of uh, some of the first disciples coming to, um, co- coming to follow Jesus. Sorry. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. So he's, he's reiterating to his disciples. He's already said, look, is the, this is the Lamb of God. And now he's got two disciples with him and he says, look, here he is again. Um, and the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? Uh, they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and you'll see. So they went with him and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about 10 in the morning. So they've come and they've seen Jesus and they've followed him, and now they're just so excited to be there, they stick with him throughout that whole day um, just to learn and and soak in what he's saying. Then uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who'd heard John and followed him. So first he found his own brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, which means anointed one. He then brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, You're Simon, son of John. You'll be called Kephas, which means rock. The next day, he decided to leave uh, for Galilee. And Jesus found Philip and told him, Follow me. It's that open invitation to come and join in. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael who told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so do the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him. So it's clearly some sort of backwater country town, um, not much of a high reputation. But uh, Philip says, come and see. Notice how he echoes um, Jesus' call earlier, that he invites the others to come and see, and then 
Philip does that same invitation to come and see. Uh, Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said about him, Here is a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Well, before Philip called you, when you were still under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus responded, Do you believe only because I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And then he said, I assure you, you will see the sun, uh, see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Um, now, in this passage, we see quite a number of different names for Jesus. Um, John first introduces him and says, Behold, look, the Lamb of God. Um, Ian did a fantastic job of unpacking that. Um, we, we've also seen him called a rabbi or a teacher. Um, we've seen him called the Messiah. Uh, he's also called Jesus, son of Joseph, um, the son of God, the king of Israel, the son of man. There's a number of titles in here, and I'd like to actually briefly explore a few of these. I won't go into all of them. We'll be here all day. Um, and there's actually many more as, uh, beyond these that he's referred to throughout the scriptures um, in the Old Testament and the New, um, those looking forward and those uh, revealing who he is at that present time. Um, so we're going to jump through John to a few different uh, sections um, where we see people's reactions um, and how they perceive Jesus when they interact with him. They're kind of preconceptions when they come to him and kind of what happens in the midst of that. Um, so first of all, I'd like to look at the idea of him being the son of Joseph. Um, that this is just, you know, a boy from down the road, um, a normal person. There's nothing necessarily special or out of the ordinary about him. I mean, after all, as Nathaniel said, what good can come from Nazareth? Surely you can't be that great. Um, but we see that um, when Jesus was teaching the crowds during his ministry, um, that there was many uh, that questioned his words. Um, when Jesus talks about the hard things and the um, things beyond this world, he talks about himself as the bread of life. Um, the people around him kind of question this and say, you know, uh, this is in John chapter 6, he says, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can you say, I have come down from heaven? There's this questioning of how can this person be so amazing, so great, if we know his origins. Um, this is because in their eyes, he's nothing than a little boy that they've seen running around. Um, he doesn't have any significance. Um, if they knew his parents, how could he be from heaven? Uh, his brothers as well, or technically his half-brothers, um, didn't believe in him to be anything special either. Um, in fact, they believed that he was just in it for the fame. He was in it for the, the prestige and the, the popularity. In chapter 7, um, they, they say to him, Leave here and go to Judea so your disciples can see your works and what you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. 
his brothers didn't believe him. They, they'd grown up with him. They knew him just as another one in their family. And they, they said, there's nothing special about you. You're just doing this for the glory of it, for the um, prestige. So stop hiding away and pretending that you know, you're trying to hide from the spotlight. Go out there and be a public figure. And yet Jesus doesn't look for that spotlight. He doesn't um, look for the glory. In fact, he often retreats and looks for places of solitude, times for himself. Um, he also makes a point uh, of telling people throughout his ministry that uh, after he's healed them, not to tell others what he's done for them, to actually keep it quiet, to keep it on the down low. Um, to me, that's the opposite of what you're wanting to do. I'm not a, a big marketing person, but usually you want to promote those sorts of things, the good things, and say, hey, look at this. But he actually tells people to um, lay low and to not tell people about it. Not that they often be, um, follow what his instruction is, but there's still that, that desire there to, to stay hidden and not seen as much. Does this really point to him just being a normal man out for some personal glory? What about the perception of him being a rabbi or a, a teacher? Um, this is presented numerous times throughout the gospel as Jesus teaches, and he has some great teaching. Um, and for many people today, when they look at Jesus, they see him as a teacher with great wisdom and some great ethical um, teachings that form our foundation today. But um, he says some things that just don't really line up with that as well. The way in which he teaches is often in a way that is more fixed on things above. Um, he says things that are outrageous and at times, quite frankly, confusing. Um, in, in one passage he says, um, this is chapter uh, 5, he says, I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have life. Wow, it's a bit uh, cannibalistic. Um, and obviously, like, this is, doesn't make sense. And so the people actually respond with questions saying, you know, this is teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Um, and it says in verse 66 of uh, chapter 6, many turned back and no longer followed him. This was after he taught these things. And it... it it begs that question, you know, if this is such a great teacher, why is he saying things that are causing people to run away, to turn their back on him? Why is he saying things that um, the, the cookies aren't like? He's saying things that aren't easily understood. He speaks in parables. He speaks in a way that makes you have to think through them rather than just passing on that knowledge. But I suppose, I mean, these are just the uneducated people of the town. You know, they're not um, people with scriptural understanding um, to understand these things. You know, there must be some, you know, deeper um, uh, scriptural understanding you must have of the Old Testament to understand this. Yeah, that's it. So um, then you think of this uh, good old guy called Nico, um, Nicodemus, um, who's a religious leader. Um, he... Um, seeks Jesus out as a teacher and he, he looks to him to kind of pick his brains and give him a bit of understanding because he's like, oh, this guy, he's got his head screwed on. He's got some really um, quite uh, unlocking things to say about the scripture. Um, 
And yet Jesus turns around and doesn't really kind of help him in that way. In fact, he says something to which um, Nicodemus responds, how can these things be? Um, He just doesn't have a category or frame of reference to be able to hold on to those things because Jesus is speaking in cryptic imagery rather than a a straightforward message. Um, You know, if I came up here and I spoke in the way Jesus spoke, you guys would leave here scratching your heads and saying to Ian, let's not have Harley preach again. Um, And yet, this is what Jesus is doing. I mean, it's certainly easier to view Jesus as a good teacher, um, you know, to pick out things like love your neighbor as yourself. You know, you see people talk about that all the time. Jesus was about the love. He's about the love. But if that's all you talk about, like you're missing and ignoring so much more of what he uh, he focuses on. Um, if loving your neighbor was the main message, you know, why are so many people turned off by what he said? How does a message of love uh, and love for your neighbor explain the way in which he was arrested and plotted against, um, unjustly put on trial and ultimately executed by his own people? You know, that's, that doesn't make sense to me. What about Jesus as the king, the king of Israel? Um, I mean, think back to the imagery of John's words of the, the ground being made flat and Jesus and God's glory coming onto earth, um, his might and power. Isn't this exactly the, the, the imagery that he's putting forward into people's minds, that this is God coming to set up his rule? Um, well, for many people, that's exactly what they were thinking. Um, and, of course, if you remember, the Jews were under Roman occupation at this point. So I'm sure many of them were just imagining the Romans just going and bursting into flames um, because God was going to pull his uh, sheep, his people, back to himself and wipe out those others. Uh, the hype was real. Um, and we see in chapter 6, after feeding 5,000 people um, from a few loaves of bread and some fish, that the people really believed that this guy must be their king. In fact, they went to make him their king. It says, um, chapter 6, verse 14, it says, When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This really is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You know, these people were so excited for Jesus. They were like, yeah, yeah. They were going to make him king themselves. Like, they weren't concerned about what his opinion was. They, he was going to be their king. This was the end of the Romans. But Jesus withdrew. Like, he, t- he stepped away. He knew that they were coming to take him by force. And he, he went away. Um, this this doesn't seem to align with our view of what you know a king should be doing. Um, he's been given the opportunity to rule, and yet he he steps away from that. Later on in John, um, there's a um, section where Jesus enters into Jerusalem at Passover, one of their big festivals, and they come out. 
in verse 12, 13, it says, They took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna! He who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one, the King of Israel. <laughs> They're calling him the King. This is our King. You know, it's so much excitement. And yet in the midst of this, Jesus isn't acting like a king. You know, for, for one, he's riding a donkey, not exactly, you know, your kingly type steed. Surely you could have found a stallion lying around somewhere. Um, but once again, he's chosen a different path. He steps away from that, uh, that perception that he needs to be uh, enthroned at this point in time. And of course, the irony is that, you know, uh, a week later, they're all calling out in those crowds for him to be executed. Um, And it's it's that hilarity of, you know, one moment they'll love you and one moment they'll hate you. But um, how does Jesus refer to himself in this chapter? He calls himself the Son of Man. Um... It says, uh, verse uh, 51 in chapter 1, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Um, now, this is, is quite powerful imagery once again. Jesus is referencing two separate passages of Jewish uh, writings. Um, first, when he talks about angels ascending and descending, um, this is a really uh, a parallel to um, in Genesis uh, chapter 28 where um, Jacob, um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, one of the fathers of the nation of Israel, um, was walking through this land and, and went to sleep and laid his head on a pillow, of which was actually a stone. Um, but, you know, um, and he had this dream of a stairway connecting earth and heaven and these angels moving up and down it. Um, when he wakes up, he he calls this place the house of God um, and the gate to heaven. Um, and this was later a place where the Ark of the Covenant was held with the um, the tablets uh, from Moses. And, and by referencing himself in this place, he's pointing to himself as being a new bridge, a new connection between earth and heaven. Um, the new house of God, but this one isn't static. It isn't stuck in a place, but it's mobile. It can move and be with his people. Um, and that's uh, that in and of itself is just a crazy thought that God would be in the midst of his people, uh, in the midst of their sinfulness. And yet, uh, and the second re- uh, um, reference, sorry, is to the Son of Man. Um, this is taken out of uh, a prophetic imagery um, from the book of Daniel in chapter 7, um, where God is setting up his rule and reign on earth. Um, it's also a part where he's removing the tyrannical leaders of the earth and establishing his own rule. Um, and it's a strong image, really strong picture of um, Jesus as the walking presence of God on earth and um, the beginning of his rule here. But again, this seems very contrasted to what he's actually doing as he walks on earth. Um, Instead of taking on the Roman Empire and defeating it, he's crushed by it. Instead of demanding servitude of others, 
under his rule, he served others. So is Jesus a ruler and king or a servant of all? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, Jesus upturns the natural order of things. Uh, in his kingdom, to be first means to be last. Uh, in chapter 18, when interrogated by Pilate, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. He, he looks at things in a completely different perspective, in a way in which uh, things are so much more than what we see. Um, where some saw just a man, the son of this carpenter Joseph, we see God in flesh. God, fully God and fully man at the same time, walking through our presence. An amazing miracle that allows us to personally commune with him um, for the first time without having to think about the sacrificial system some people saw a teacher of theology and ethics, um, but we see one who speaks uh, of life that is to come uh, and the promise of life through his name, that instead of eating bread and becoming hungry again, you can have his bread, the bread of life, which is eternally satisfying. And while some see a king to be raised up, one day and then denounced the next and ridiculed, we see a servant who gives all of himself for those in his kingdom. He was crushed in our place in the midst of us screaming for his execution, all because he loved us. You know, today we've briefly touched on a few of these names. Um, and we've only just skimmed the surface of a lot of these. But I think that's in line as well with the invitation of John uh, and his gospel to be actually invite you to dig a bit deeper, more than this, to have you asking, who is this man? Um, Jesus came and lived like no other man, no other teacher and no other king. He gave up his glory and power and honour to become a servant of all and to meet with the sick and the sinners, the outcasts of our society. He paid it all on the cross, bearing the greatest weight of us uh, for all of us. And while we stood there mocking him, calling for his execution, his perfect, humble and beautiful life gives us an entryway to God once more, not just because he died, but because he lives today, raised up and seated next to God in glory. Who is this man? I invite you to come and see. Uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much uh, that you came to this earth, that you... Uh, put aside your glory and took up the humble position of a man, um, a man who was obedient to death on the cross. Um, thank you that you uh, gave so much of yourself for us. 
thank you that you are beyond our understanding and expectations because if we could put you in a box, what sort of God would you be? Uh, and thank you that you just invite us and tantalize us to come in and take that step forward, that step closer to see who you are. And I just pray that uh, for those of us who are here, uh, maybe that we've put God into one of those boxes or another box that he, this is God, this is Jesus, that we would actually be invited to take a step forward and say, what's another aspect of this King, this Lord? What is another thing I can learn about him? Um, yeah, thank you for that invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Harley. This Jesus certainly is an enigma, you might say. So much of what he said and did uh, doesn't follow the patterns that we would do if we were trying to be Jesus, trying to be the saviour of the world. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who would believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In Jesus we see foolishness and weakness that is stronger than anything man has to offer. We see, we see a, a God coming to earth, manifesting himself, living as a man and acting in ways that we would not expect to reach us. We've just heard Harley tell us about all the different names that uh, Jesus was called just in that one chapter of Messiah, King of Israel, Lamb of God. There's something in Christ for everyone who walks the face of the earth. No one is excluded. And I don't know where you stand. Most of you, I assume, are Christians, but I don't know where you stand in your relationship with God this morning. But if you don't know him, I invite you, as Harley has just done as well, to come and make a profession of faith. Come and be introduced to this Lamb of God, this Messiah, this King of Israel, this Son of Man, the Son of God, the Rabbi. If you do know him, then rejoice because all of those characteristics, all of those qualities, all of those titles of Christ have been imparted in a sense to you. Um, if you have any needs this morning, I invite you to come forward for prayer. Um, we'll have a couple of people who will come and pray for you if there's uh, physical needs, if you need healing, if you need some uh, confirmation from God about something, you just want him to settle something in your heart if you feel a stirring from God for something you just want uh, some prayer for that if there's financial needs uh, employment needs whatever it may be 
invite you to come forward and let's call on this Lamb of God, Son of God, King of Israel, to, uh, to speak and work to and through you in whatever way he chooses to. Father, we just magnify your name this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you have sent Jesus. You sent Jesus to reconcile us to you, Lord. Lord, we cannot get our heads around what that, um, that means, but Lord, we're thankful that you've given us some word in your scripture, Lord, that uh, the mystery that's there in, in the scriptures has now been revealed to us because you've shown us who Jesus really is. Lord, we, uh, we just thank you for that word. We thank you for Harley's word this morning. Lord, we ask that you'll work something in our lives of that word this week. And uh, Father, I pray your blessings on everyone here as we go about this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.